One day the father did something very challenging with me. I grew up in a certain circle, a certain movement, a certain denomination. And then the father came to me as a believer, as a Christian, and he said, go to the church of this other denomination. You have an idea of what they're like, but go and visit their fellowship and see for yourself what I have for you there. And so I I'm really confused. I'm really uncertain. But he tells me this and in obedience I go. And when I sit in that church and I look around, oh, I feel like there's so much for me to point the finger at. There's so much for me that I disagree with theologically. There's so much for me that isn't the way that I would do it. But as I witness these things, the father, as I'm sitting there, tells me, PD, beware the critical spirit. And I believe that he took me all the way to this fellowship just to teach me about the critical spirit that each and every one of us will be tempted by a spirit that desires us to fall into criticisms by our flesh, discerning by our flesh and to judge by our flesh unrighteously. You see, when Yeshua, when Jesus came, he said, I came but to bring a sword. And, you know, that's an interesting statement, because when we think about, well, the world and the disunity and how there's chaos, we would think, well, if God could just come down, he'd set everything straight. In fact, haven't we all said that if Yeshua was here and if God comes back one day, he's just going to set everyone straight or or beliefs straight and everyone's just going to agree on everything and we're just going to be in perfect unity. But isn't it? Ironic that when he did come in the first century, that ultimately he ended up on a cross and we didn't end up in unity. See, ultimately, he came to bring a sword because he comes to divide those who are living in the flesh from those who are to live in the spirit. And that is what he is doing today. Brothers and sisters, mark my words. He is doing that in our midst today. Right now, he is bringing a division by the sword to bring together those who are in him, but to separate them from those who are in him only by name, but not truly in heart and in mind. And so I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, Christ is supposed to bind us together. But if he is Why is it that my greatest opponents are Christians? Why is it that it is fellow believers whom we often find on the other side coming against us when we're trying to walk like Jesus? See, ultimately, I want to submit to you that it is these fleshy desires under the guise of religion that come against us. It is easy to paint our fleshly desires, what we want with our religion, what we call to be a believer, to stamp the name of Jesus on whatever we want as justification to have what we want be justified. And so that our critical spirit 
may be justified. Today, I want to speak to you about the symptoms of a critical spirit, what it looks like. I want to talk to you about the original sin that births a critical spirit. And ultimately, I want to talk to you about receiving deliverance from a critical spirit. Here's the thing with a critical spirit. If you are living in a critical spirit and by a critical spirit, you will be looking for what is wrong and you will find everything that is wrong. And there are many things that are wrong. Right there, there are everywhere we go in each other. We will find things wrong in churches. We will find things wrong in the world. We'll find things wrong. We'll find things wrong wherever we look, as long as that's what we're looking for. Have you ever been in a situation where you wanted to say you were in the market for a new car or a house or a phone or something? And then, you you know, your, your mind is a bit more set on that thing. And then suddenly you notice, well, wow, there are so many white cars on the road. Oh, wow, there's so many of these types of phones in people's pockets. Oh, you suddenly notice something because you're in the mindset of looking for it. And so if you are living in a critical spirit, if you're living in the mindset of criticism and looking for what is wrong, that is what you will find. And so the most telling symptom of a critical spirit is the inability to have unity, the inability to have it because we find ourselves as spiritual islands. We find ourselves not being in any type of unity with many believers. We struggle immensely to be in unity. And I'm and I'm not necessarily talking about someone who is just isolated because sometimes we don't choose isolation but we are in a circumstance of isolation. However, when you have the opportunity of fellowship, of partnership with other believers, yet you continuously find yourself turning those down because you see something wrong in all of those or in just about 99% of other people, then it may just be that you're struggling with a critical spirit because see, To be in this type of isolation of a spiritual walk that is basically individual is dangerous. And to be in an isolated ministry is even more so dangerous. See, brothers and sisters, it is dangerous because when a critical spirit matures, it makes you a wolf in sheep's clothing. Whenever you when you find yourself in a place where you're unable to be in unity with every anyone, everyone else is wrong. You're the one who's right. And you're the only one who has who you're the only hope for the world and the church to find salvation and to be saved. Then you're considering yourself the savior and you're considering yourself as the one that is going to be leading everyone But that is exactly how a false prophet is born. A false prophet is the one who believes that everyone is wrong and they're the one who's suddenly been receiving this revelation from God that no one else has before and that they are now going to be the one to save everyone else. They are the true prophet sent by God. 
See, you don't want to be thinking that you are the true prophet only to find yourself before God as the false prophet. We have to be so careful to audit whether what we believe, not only what we believe, but how we see and treat others is in alignment with how God sees and treats others especially when Yeshua was on earth and when he saw others, including the most sinful of men, what did he do? He dined with them, with Gentiles and tax collectors, and he got in a lot of trouble with it. By who? From the religious, those who had a critical spirit, who could only see the bad, in Christ's life, even though there was nothing bad, even they were able to find something to complain and criticize him over. When in reality, he was the true prophet and they were the false prophets. And it was only because they wanted to have him come under their authority and to do what their flesh wanted him to do. That's where that critical spirit came in. See, I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that ultimately, you know, when you think about someone then like John the Baptist in contrast, John the Baptist sometimes separated to be in the wilderness, right? To be with the father, just like even Yeshua at times separated to be in isolation. But that was led by the spirit. There's nothing wrong with that. But they were in unity with those of pure heart and faith. They weren't this completely lone wolf. Even they, as being the true prophets of God, were in unity with other believers. And so I want to submit to you that when we look at now the fruits of the flesh of Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, we read that six of the fruits of the flesh, this is a lot, have a direct connection with the inability to have fellowship with disunity itself. We see Galatians 5:20, the fruits of the flesh, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, the inability to have unity. But what are the reasons for us to struggle with unity? Well, it's like I discussed, it's that everyone else is wrong. Everyone will be wrong according to something. But have we considered that we may be wrong? Have we considered that we may be the one who is an error, even if it's simply in the way that we are judging someone by the flesh with a critical spirit and unable to actually see what God is doing? See, it is one thing to see when there's something wrong, and that's not what this teaching or what I'm talking about here. It's not got anything to do with, with recognizing when there's something wrong, when there's bad theology, when whatever. It's not about that. But it's a critical spirit sees what is wrong, but it has the inability to see anything that is right because of what is wrong. You're blinded to only see what is wrong in your eyes. And when you can only see what is wrong in your eyes, but you're not able to see what is right, there's a good chance that even what you judge as wrong is wrong because you lack the sermon to even see what is right, what is true, what is lovely. Another thing that we what causes us to struggle with unity is that we major on the minors, that even if we truly discover something that is wrong in someone else, a different fellowship or person, 
the question we, we lack the ability to distinguish major problems that are worth breaking unity over, f- breaking fellowship over compared to minor disagreements, which ought not to be something we break fellowship or have this unity over. Well, let me just say it like this. Most denominations today in the world could actually get along fine. But they have decided to break fellowship over minors. They have majored on the minors, as the saying goes. And and it is a pride issue. It is an issue of, well, this pat doctrine of mine, this one thing that God has put a passion in me for, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having a passion for something that God has given you a slant towards. However, when that thing becomes so much more important to you that to the point where it becomes a fellowship breaker and a creator of disunity, when in the kingdom of God and in light of the Bible, it is not elevated to that importance. Then you are the one who has created an idol out of this doctrine to to say that this doctrine is more important than me loving my brother and being in unity with my brother. And by the way, let me just say this. Beware of making the excuse to say that, well, I love my brother, even though we're not in unity. Because if you truly love your brother, you will go as far as necessary, as far as possible to work out unity in fear and trembling in light of what the what Yeshua said about unity, that they will know you by your love for one another. And If you guys are in disunity, you can't even have a conversation or speak well about of one another, then that is not going to demonstrate love to the world. What that's going to demonstrate is disunity, hatred. And so our witness is damaged because we want to die on a hill that Christ never died on. There are things worth creating disunity over, such as the gospel itself, Yeshua himself. Absolutely. But we have to be careful as to where we draw that line. Now, the other thing that we do is we see our brothers and sisters in Christ as opponents. And that fruit of the flesh of jealousy comes in whenever they're blessed or successful or when it seems that God is using them. And then we point the finger, just like the Pharisees pointed the finger at Yeshua when he was casting out demons. And we come with false accusations because we don't like it that it seems that God's spirit is working in and through them. God's spirit, praise the Father, can work through vessels that aren't perfect. I'm not, you're not, none of us are perfect, yet he can still work in and through us in his mercy and grace. That's the only reason he could work through any of us. Trust me. And so regarding that, it is important for us now to be careful of not trying to build our own kingdom, pushing others aside, pushing others down, pushing others away, criticizing each other because we really don't want each other to succeed because we're opponents, just like the secular world are opponents with one another and fight in with one another and build kingdoms against one another. If we imitate that instead of the kingdom of God, which is one kingdom who we're all a part of on the same side, then we will find ourselves before the throne of God fighting with one another. The last thing in terms of our reasons for inability to have unity is that we have a 
we can have a critical character that lacks fruit whom no one really wants to be in unity with. See, if you if you lack good fruit, if you walk in fruits of the flesh everywhere you go, jealousies, quarrels, disunities, divisions, anger, strife, idolatries, you being your own God, especially whatever that is. When you have that critical character, you always carry around. You're only seeing the bad and you're unable. You're blinded to see the good. Who wants to be in unity with that? I'm sorry, but we can't be in unity with someone who, by definition, is a man of division. And that's why Paul said when there is someone who is a man of division, warn him once, warn him twice, but then have nothing more to do with him. Because he Paul recognizes and tells us that when there is a man of this unity, by definition, he can't be in unity with him because he will wreak havoc and wreck this, bring this unity everywhere he goes because of that critical spirit that is operating in and through him of which he needs to repent. The next symptom that I want to talk about further is that there is no then desire to have unity. It's not just that you can't have unity. You find yourself with the inability to have it, but you actually don't even want to. You, you, you kind of like you have no real desire, even though, look, here's the thing. Our flesh, don't, it, we don't want to be in unity by our flesh because our flesh is like, you know, we want to do our own thing. We want to feel like we're right. We feel like everyone else is wrong. We like that's how the flesh is. The carnal mind is prideful. That's the fruit of the flesh. So we have to fight that and it's not always easy. But that desire to have unity comes by the Holy Spirit. And that's the easiest way for me to see if someone truly has the Holy Spirit is truly filled by the Spirit. It's not about how much how much you do this or that spiritual gift or how much you prophesy or think you get words from God or speak in tongues or it's not it's it's about whether you have the ability to have unity. Because in Acts chapter two, the first marker of the crowd was that they were in one mind in unity. Then the Holy Spirit came into the room and then they spoke in tongues. But if you want to tell me you speak in tongues, but you don't have a love for each other in the room and aren't in one mind, I don't care about how much you speak in tongues. If you you can speak as much as you want, but it is a clanging symbol. If you cannot have a love for one another and unity, not only don't you have a desire for unity, but you don't even have a desire when disunity occurs to then restore unity. When someone has wronged you, when someone has has hurt you, when someone has has betrayed you, right? And there's now a, a rift between you as believers, but you're supposed to work things out according to the word. But you're like, I'm not going to do that. That's not what the Holy Spirit puts in us. The Holy Spirit desires to restore, to deliver and bring freedom and forgiveness. And so here's the deal. It's simple. If the other person is got a a remote chance of standing before Yeshua, just as you will and be saved to be in the coming kingdom. Ask yourself this question. You're going to stand before God. He or she is going to stand right next to you. This is going to happen. And you may have your quarrel, but I promise you that when you're faced with the Almighty, that quarrel will vanish pretty quickly because of the fear of God that is going to be resting upon you. 
because of the fact that you're not going to be able to even lift up your eyes into the face of the Lord if you have hardness in your heart against your brother. And neither will your brother be able to do the same. Instead, because of the love of the Father that's right before you and the fear of God to please him that is going to be in that room, no matter what your brother or sister did against you, I promise you that whatever that thing is, it's going to vanish. It is going to be gone. And if that is the case, because of who our father is, what makes you think that you can right now still hold on to that and not restore that unity. Because here's the thing, you are deceived if you think that that kingdom is still coming. That kingdom is now. Yeshua has come and when he was here in the first century, he proclaimed the kingdom of God that has arrived. Repent for the kingdom is at hand, he said. That reality of being united with the Father is now through Yeshua. So for you to think, well, when I get to God one day, then I'll sort things out. You're with God now. Sort it out now. Or you demonstrate that you have no fear of him. See, your, your, your relationship with people speaks more about your relationship with God than anything else. Anything else. You say, I can't be in unity with people because every, everyone is wrong. That speaks to your relationship with the Father. That speaks to how the Father needs to do a work in your heart so that you can be in unity even with those whom you don't fully agree with on everything. So he can rid your heart of that pride where that makes you think that they need to be on your page on everything before you can love and be in unity with them. What kind of a fleshly lifestyle is that? And I'm saying all of this, brothers and sisters, because I believe the Father is saying no more of this. You are my children and you better start getting along. You better be the body and the bride that I have called you to be, because ultimately you are my supposed to be my light on the earth. But if you cannot even work together and be the light, see, the light is the body together. If the body is broken up into pieces, the light is no longer there. I, I actually am getting a vision as I speak right now that, that that the body of Christ sometimes has been like a blind man, like a man who has had his eyes removed from him because we are so in such disunity with our with the body parts of the body of Christ with each other that we have become blind. Our discernment has gone away. And just like Yeshua said, the eye is the lamp and the eye, because the eye has been taken out, the lamp of the of the bride is being taken out by the enemy in the discord that we have allowed him to sow in our midst. But he is saying, I want to restore your eyesight to you. I want to restore your light back to you. But you need to restore your love to me, your first love to me, because if what is the first love? The first love is to 
to tell everyone about what he did for you. That's what you wanted to do when he saved you in the beginning. And that's what has been lost. And if you had that, then you would actually desire to be in unity with others for the sake of that gospel going forward. But if you're only in this for the sake of your own gospel, your own kingdom, your own good news, your thing, then you won't have any real desire to be in unity with anyone else because it doesn't build that's building God's kingdom when you're interested in your own. And see, we we say no, 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 PD, but by our actions, we demonstrate what we do, not by what we say. You can say whatever you want. It's about how you live and what you do and what the reality of your life speaks, what the fruit of your life speaks. That's the only thing that matters in this conversation, not what you proclaim on your Facebook messages and statuses. And so I want to speak to you now about that very sin that births a critical spirit. It is the religious superiority complex. See, ultimately, there is an inherent risk of religion, and it is simply this, that we are always, while we are always in a good way, pursuing greater morality to be a better person. Ultimately, we have used that as our justification before God as to why we're actually better than someone else. Like the Pharisee who said, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. I tithe. I do all these religious things. And I thank you. I'm not like this tax collector who does none of that. See, we use the religious things that we feel like we have to exalt us above other people, to make ourselves feel superior. But the gospel actually teaches that you and me and all of us are fallen, that no matter how much you want to tithe and how much good you want to do, ultimately, before the father, if we don't have him, if we don't have a Messiah, that we are all going to the same place and the key would be thrown away forever. It is only by Yeshua and by his blood and what he has done, not by what you've done, that we can actually even be declared righteous. So you don't have any reason to take pride in your own works. You don't have any reason to take pride in how much you've tithed. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, this sin of pride that makes us consider ourselves better than one, someone else is what feel, makes us feel justified to point the finger and criticize, calling it righteous judgment. Call it whatever you want. Just because you feel justified doesn't mean that you are. And dare I say that the leadership, the elders in spiritual in the spiritual world are those most at risk when we look at the biblical model. The biblical model was that it was the Pharisees, certain Pharisees who came against Yeshua, the religious leaders of his day, who were the ones most guilty of everything I have been talking about here. And that means that if you are a leader, if you are an elder, if you serve in any type of leadership, even as simple as the leadership of your home, the priest of your home, the husband, the father of your house, there is an inherent risk that runs with that, which we must be mindful of not to not to have ourselves be exalted, but to humble ourselves because that that leadership position comes with sometimes this desire to have control and control can sometimes be fleshly and not spiritual. 
an unbiblical fleshly control. And so we use criticism then as a weapon to gain or regain authority over others to put other people down so that you can be lifted up in your own mind. I'd like to end this off with six steps to receive deliverance from any type of critical spirit. If anything I've been talking about thus far has just been hitting you and piercing your heart. And if you've recognized anything of yourself in any of what I'm sp I've spoken about here today, I want to invite you into this section where I want to just talk about six steps of receiving deliverance from a spirit of criticism. See, there are six things we must realize. Firstly, we must recognize our own, own depravity. We must stop looking at ourselves as being the one true man who or woman who has everything right or who has every, who, who understands, who has perfect theology, who is the source of all that is good somehow. Yes, we can say by words that we don't believe that, but if we act like that, then we do. So after that, we have to do serving. We have to actually serve people, serve the poor in your community, serve the sick, sir, go and find some tax collectors and sinners and serve them the way that Yeshua did. When you do that, then you will create a let the Holy Spirit work in and through you, create humility in you and transform you into the likeness of Yeshua and transform your character. Number three, separate your passion for pet doctrines from salvational issues. If something is not a salvational issue, it's not worth dividing over. And you must draw lines in where you draw in, in that separation. You cannot treat those things all as the same. Number four, pursue love and unity with all who has a chance to be standing next to you when you stand before the father one day. Number five, take joy in the very thing that does unify you. Recognize what does unify you. Yeshua, Jesus, when there's someone else, don't just look at what you're in disagreement over and and what you're what you can be in disunity over. Look at what you're in unity over. Look at Yeshua together. Find him together. Edify one another together towards looking more like him, because that's usually the desire of a believer. And by definition, what a Christian is someone who wants to be more like Jesus. And if we can at least agree on that, then there is great progress that has been made in our love for one another already. And then number six, repent of any selfish desires and building of your own thing at the cost of anyone else's thing or anything else. Forget about your own thing. Build his kingdom. Forget about being right. Let him be right. And repent where you have desired to be right in situations instead of letting the truth be what it is. Sometimes we want to be right no matter what the truth is. Even though we say we desire the truth, when we don't humble ourselves before him and say, God, whatever the truth is, give it to me, give it to me through my enemy, give it to me through my friend. I don't care, but give it to me. 
then when we humble ourselves, instead of just pointing the finger, when we aren't just a critical man or woman, but when we are a humble man or woman, then the Father can more clearly instruct us in righteousness, and we will be actually getting closer to that heart of truth we're actually after. I want to now just lead us all in a prayer of repentance. Father, I ask, Lord, that you would come with your Holy Spirit and move among us, O Lord. Lord, we repent of being critical of that which we ought not to have been so critical about from turning our eyes away from the goodness and the good things that you actually are doing in others and have shown others. And Father, help us to learn from one another, grow from one another, and help us to be in unity. Lord, I pray that you would end this move that you're bringing in your body of unity, that you would actually come and help us receive revelation and grow closer to your truth than ever before because we humble ourselves before you. Father, is it not the humble whom you exalt? Father, is it not the humble to whom you give treasure? Is it not to the humble to whom you show the greatest love and mercy? Father, help us to be the humble and not the pointing of the finger. Help us to be the tax collector and not the Pharisee. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to just say a special thank you to our partners who've made this teaching and every other teaching this month possible. I love you guys and I can't wait to see you in the next one. Shalom.